Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And we're into extra time. Kia ora and welcome to Extra Time. I'm Clay Wilson and joining me via Zoom this week are RNZ Sports columnist Hamish Bidwell, RNZ Sport team member Bridget Tunnicliffe and we're also happy to welcome in sports commentator Ricky Swinnell. Hello all. Hello. Hello. Now while there's no actual sport to talk about at the moment, there's still plenty of developing news in the sports world as athletes, teams, organisations and events grapple with the impact of COVID-19. It's also a chance to look at what the wider impact on sport might be. How are the codes and competitions we love going to be different when we eventually come out the other side of this global pandemic? Before we get into the more medium to long-term effects, a quick word on the latest from the here and now this week. Hamish, coming to the NRL, you put together a column on this and it's been one of the, the major sports stories in the news. They appear to be the most keen to get their competition back underway as quickly as possible. What do you make of how they're going about this so far? Um, they're lucky they've got a compliant media who want this story to happen and so they're driving it relentlessly and there are people within rugby league like Melbourne Storm captain Cameron Smith who are sort of urging caution and maybe are presenting some of the things that might challenge this lockdown or the bubble they want to have and the quarantine they want to sort of create for rugby league and um, he's been shouted down because that's against the narrative that they're trying to, to sell and I would, yeah, I, I'm not in favour of it, I don't think it's going to work um, I don't actually think it should even be tried. Um, I think they're talking about getting guys on islands or mining towns, maybe this, the old Olympic site at, at Homebush in Sydney, places like that. And I, I understand why they want to get rugby league going. And I know that they need to get rugby league going financially to save their competition and to save the clubs, some of the clubs anyway. But I just don't think it's feasible. And I, I wrote about it the other day. And one of the reasons I don't think it's feasible is I don't think you can trust groups of men in hotels to behave themselves. They'll break the lockdown. They'll go and do something daft, and the whole thing will be for now. Um, ben Eichen, who's one of the more considered people out there, has written a really good column about some of the logistical challenges around things like towels and balls and training equipment and dumbbells and all sorts of stuff that make it difficult just on a day-to-day basis. But I think the whole thing, as I say, will fall over because dudes from rugby league can't behave themselves. It smacks of desperation to me, doesn't it? And, and look, when um, we got into this point a, a couple of or a month or so back, and every other competition was shutting down, and I remember sitting watching the the NRL game, there was nobody in the crowd, and I, I was increasingly uncomfortable watching it. It just did not seem right. And I mean, I'm this is someone who, I'm someone whose livelihood depends on live sport being played, but it, it, it is it is desperate, and I think there's very much that. Um, I think, as you said, Hamish, that push of, of people behind it who are very vocal, very loud, rah-rah voices um, pushing this along without really giving it um, the due consideration out of, out of that desperation. That's right, Ricky. And then none of these people who are pushing this agenda are going to be in the lockdown for four months. They're not going to be saying goodbye to their loved ones and, and hanging out with their teammates. They're going to be at home pontificating about it all. You know what I mean? So it's easy for them to say, oh, these guys should take a sacrifice. How how bad is it? Well, it could be really bad. And you don't have to worry about how bad it is because you'll be at home. It puts it quickly into perspective when you think about it from a family perspective. People with, especially 
people with kids and players with young ones being away for for four months um that's a that's a long time for people to be not only on their own but for their families to be on their own isn't it to to try and manage that especially just with how the situation is in the world at the moment dealing with that and the mental challenges of that alone yeah i mean i just think that they'll be pretty mis- if they try to do this they just the players will be absolutely miserable and it'll be a miserable thing to watch and so i just don't really see the point in them putting in this uh, putting energy into planning for something when there is no uh, we don't have a handle on the coronavirus yet and there could be another breakout later down the track so yeah i just don't really see the point in them trying to do this i stand to be corrected but um i think within a month's time they're going to stop being played paid entirely the players um they're taking a 50% cut, but mm-hmm. they get paid from um, November to end of October, and they've had six months of salary already. And so when it, that six months finishes in a few weeks' time, that's it. They're cut off, so they have no income. So that's a powerful driver. I understand why they want to play, but I, as I say, I don't think it's in good taste or feasible. I just think it puts a, a lot of a whole lot of other people at risk as well. Yes, I know they're going to yeah. keep them in bubbles, but all of that. But if they're in hotels, you've got hotel staff. They still have mm-hmm. to be, you know, fed and watered. And it is a hardcore contact sport where serious injuries do occur. So therefore, you you could, and these are all hypotheticals, obviously, a situation where players might need to go to hospital. They may have to do all of that, and it just seems it seems unnecessary. Um, it, it seems that they are unnecessarily hasty in this when we don't know what is even two weeks down the track. And you're right, Ricky, like, I rely on sport being played to make an income too. But I, I genuinely think that at some point, someone just needs to say, look, it's just off for this year. Across all codes, all around the world, we're just going to flag it. It's it's not the right thing to be playing. It's not feasible to play. Let's, let's plan ahead for next year and hope, and it will be hoping that we can play then. Yeah, and that provides clarity as well, doesn't it? We saw with the Olympic situation, the athletes desperate for a call just so they had some clarity. It wasn't month by month, week by week, day by day, not sure what was going to happen. So um, I guess we'll see how they end up doing that. But they seem pretty desperate, some of those competitions, especially the NRL and the AFL in Australia. And I did see the UFC talking about hosting one of their shows on a private island. Don't start me today. Don't start me on that. (laughs) Um, Looking more locally at rugby here, um, a bit of talk this week uh, around the All Blacks and, and players here. Um, talk of a one-off Lions test, a decider that might bring some money into the game next year before the Lions go to South Africa. Um, but we also haven't had word yet on pay cuts for New Zealand players. Um, Hamish, I'm sure you've, you've got some thoughts on this. What do you see developing there and what do you think the players might end up accepting or taking? My excitement if there isn't any excitement to be had about COVID-19, is that things are going to change. They're going to change in a big way. And the days of the $800 million salaries for All Blacks are going to finish. And if you're a good player, you're going to be 200 250 and you're going to be playing the bulk of your rugby in New Zealand against New Zealand opposition. Um, the game was bankrupting itself to pay player wages and to um, keep guys in New Zealand that maybe, you know, had offers or opportunities overseas. And I think this situation has created an environment where that's all going to that's not going to be the case anymore, and I'm really glad of that. And I, I don't really care about this one-off Mickey Mouse game. It's not what the Lions is about. It's about every 12 years, and you wait, and you enjoy it when it comes. Um, but more importantly, I think guys aren't going to be off offshore. They're going to be here in New Zealand. We're going to have an influx of guys coming back from Europe because where would you rather live? Your English or French club's going to go bankrupt, and you're going to need to come and play somewhere or live somewhere, and it's going to be here. And so New Zealand rugby, in the short to medium term, is going to be played here by New Zealanders, and it's going to be exciting. Um, there's going to be demand for it because we're going to be starving sport and things like 
international blockbusters in a far-off place are not going to be uh, common. I mean, I think we'll just borders will be shut and we'll, we'll play here, and I think the game will be much better for it. Yeah, the, like I mean, in all reality, competition like the Mitre Ten Cup, and I know we, you know, we're try, not wanting to rush competitions, but that's Mitre Ten and Farapama Cup are realistically probably the only proper competition we may get this year because they could push it back a little bit later if needs be and that could be absolute gangbusters and I think in the last couple of years we've got so negative about everything to do with super rugby in so many ways that we've actually forgotten that we've got some really bloody good rugby players in this country and they produce some you know we, we get some excellent games and so I think um, look I, I, I like ideas that people are, are tossing out and innovations and, and different things and, and that can only be a good thing as well um, for, for long term I, I look I think players it's probably inevitable like it is in every industry that they are they too are going to be taking pay cuts here for a wee while um, and, and, and you know I think a lot of them Dan Coles is one that, that they like others are going to have to just suck that up for a little bit um, but it, to me it, yeah, there are exciting options ahead of, of where the game and what could happen and, and the players that we get to see coming back as Hamish said um, it, it makes it, it quite tantalising. Like we yeah, didn't want the rest against the Bulls and the Waratahs and all that. We were sick of those teams. The model sucked. We were going broke. This is a chance to change it and create something in its place that we actually want to watch and which we can actually pay for. Bridget, do you want to jump in there? Did you, were you jumping in? Oh, yeah, I was just going to say, like Ricky was saying, um, domestic competitions could really thrive. So things like Mitre 10 Cup and Ramfilly Shield it might feel like we're going back to the 80s where, you know, your All Blacks were playing in those competitions. So it actually might be quite a special time. We could get, like, the Possibles Probables back. That'd be so North good. East, like, North know, East South, I heard this week. North South games, you know, all of those kind of things that have been cast aside that we all, I guess, probably our age group and, and, and older, our parents, and that, that get a bit nostalgic about. You know, it's not it's not necessarily a case of the older we are the better we are, but we've gone so far the other way um, at the moment and, and kind of that, that connection um, isn't there like it used to be. And like I said, there's some really good players who are open, they're, they're engaged with the public and all of those kind of things, real personalities that you would get to see more and more here. It does make me think when we talk about uh, how those competitions might be different, and I'm sure everyone is excited by the prospect of those domestic competitions having more big players being um, having more resource poured into them and, and being much better products and products perhaps they deserve to be but do we think that's sustainable will that last or will eventually hopefully after this this crisis passes that we might end up going back to what the status quo was it might depend how long the international borders are closed for um, yeah, I don't know if people, if the public are really enjoying the, the local competitions and uh, uh, the players are enjoying it, then maybe, um, maybe things will change long term. But it's just so hard to tell with the international borders, and it's hard to tell how quickly competitions like Super Rugby might bounce back um, if we do go back to that model. I've got, I, yeah, I've got a bit of a fear that um, because people will be desperate and, and the organized the sports organizations will be desperate and 
you know, so much money is going out of sport that when it does eventually start to go back in, it'll go straight back up to the top again and we'll end up back in this top-down pyramid, which is where we've got to now. And, you know, grassroots and community games are really struggling. And we've already seen across numerous sports, those are the competitions that are all being cancelled, aren't they? Like New Zealand Rugby League have had to, had to cancel all the domestic stuff while still hopefully holding on to some, some other things later in the year. Um, and that would be my worry is that, yeah, we'll, we will go back to, like, we'll, there'll be a, an initial swell of excitement and innovation and trying to do things um, differently we've seen how one-off events can work and they're exciting um, but the, out of out of the need to try and reinvigorate financially um, people uh, sponsors they will want to see the All Blacks playing and they will want to see you know the very best and that might mean carting them off around the world eventually when when the borders do open that would be my worry as well. I think we could go back to things like touring. I know we're going super old-fashioned here. We're not going to go full leather ball and all that. But I, I honestly think that the rugby championship was not a, a big um, draw for fans. You know, the Six Nations is popular in, in Europe, and they won't get, let that go in a hurry. But I think Stanza will break up. I think South Africa will go to Europe. And I think we've got a chance to do things differently. And I think I would be very interested in tours. I'd like to see provincial and super teams playing touring teams. I'd like... You know, to see a model that we actually watched and enjoyed once upon a time. I know that things change and you have to evolve, but I think the evolution didn't work. I don't think people liked it. I don't think they watched it. I don't think they went to the games. And I think this is a chance, as I keep saying, to think about what we were lumbered with and how we didn't like it and actually change it and make it better and return to the things that we did like. How much faith do you have that the powers that be are actually looking at those things and might actually seriously consider those sort of options? Well, necessity is the mother of all invention. These people need some dough and they need some, some footy and they'll have to do that. Do you know what I mean? I, I, it's hard to know. I, do I have faith in administrators across the board? No. No, I don't. I, I don't have any faith in them whatsoever. But I'm hoping that, as I say, in this remarkable and unusual instance, they'll be um, compelled to do the right thing and to think properly and, and to think of, of, of fans and, and, and of a sustainable game rather than, as Ricky said, just throwing money into the top people and, and letting the, the whole thing die. They can have a, a game that we can be connected to and that, that involves clubs and provincial sides and super sides and possible probables north-south, whatever, but just creates a connection between the community that love the game and the players who play it. Yeah, look, I, as I said, I think there there are some really innovative thinkers in New Zealand sport that are perhaps not um, deeply involved in in a say a New Zealand rugby or whatever. But you look at someone like a Carl Budge and the things that he've done, he's done, he's been able to put on. And unfortunately, they were the first event can, weren't they, with the um, with the surfing? But you know, the people who come up with the the backyard cricket or the um, the, fo- the the Ryan Fox fishing and golfing challenge, all of those little things. So there are lots of really creative creative thinkers and different ways of doing things we're knowing we know there's different ways of doing things technologically to be able to bring people together um and, and those sorts of ways we've learned that we're learning that by doing it um and and maybe you know poor old mark robinson i mean could he, what a time to have come into that role but um with due respect to steve chu maybe it is a good thing that there is somebody newer and fresher in there that uh slightly younger that has come straight through the different levels of the game recently to to, to be the one to guide this i don't envy anybody running a sports organization at the moment across the board um because they're going to have like looking through every single line of budget and and all of that kind of stuff so um i think you're right Hamish. they have to be they have to they have to have a look at these things um they there can't be anything that's completely ruled out or thrown off the table at the moment, whatever it may be. 
Well, a foreign broadcaster isn't going to save them. The, the, the days of broadcast rights funding your game are dying anyway. You know, I mean, they have to think of different ways to fund the sport. And one of the quickest ways to fund the sport is to, is to um, lower your costs. You know, the days of Bowdoin Barrett getting a million bucks not to play, that has to be over. You know, the Prime Minister, God bless her, makes $471,000. She's doing God's work at the moment. A rugby player, good on them. They get what they're paid and, and no one begrudges them the money. But it has to be money that's sustainable for the whole game. And, and in keeping with their, their place in New Zealand society, which fair income is not higher than that of the Prime Minister. You've all t- touched on um, community sport and, and club sport. And I thought this was something really uh, interesting that came out of our last podcast, particularly around junior sport um, and community sport. How are these organisations going to cope? Because um, a lot of their funding streams are going to be impacted, not just from their NSOs, but also a lot of these organisations rely on gaming machine type funding, which of course no one's playing the pokies at the moment. How do we see community sport and club sport coping with uh, this crisis? And how might, might the community and club sport be different when we emerge out the other end? Yeah, I mean, I'm... I'm worried about very much so about grassroots sport. You know, your tennis clubs, your bowls clubs, rugby clubs were already struggling before this, before this, and in a precarious financial financial position. You know, is this the last straw for some of them? Um, yeah, loss of membership subscriptions, human resources. Um, with the majority of them, we have to cancel their events and programs, and they're not getting the, the cash flow. And so this could be really tough. At grassroots level, I belong to a local tennis club, and um, you know the guy I was talking to, the president, a couple of weeks ago. He's been involved in the club um, for years, and um, he said once the senior members, once the people of his, his generation leave, like he's in his sixties, he's he said the reality is the club will not will no longer go because people are time poor, and that's the kind of situation they're in. So, uh, yeah, with the impact of COVID, it's um, yeah, probably a grim time for grassroots. You see, I'm, I'm a little bit more hopeful um, than that because I think what these pe- what these places thrive on, as you said, Bridget, is people. Um, and the people, aren't, uh, the people are still there. And I think, I don't know, we've probably all had moments sitting on our couch over the last couple of weeks and in our bubbles of how we are going to be better or different or whatever after it, after this. And, uh, you know, at the moment it's a lot of talk and a lot of lists and I'm going to be a very good person in, in, in my in my next uh, in the next six months. And so, you know, I th- maybe we've just got to have a little bit more faith in society and people um, that, that they will step up and, and look at different things and do different things. And look, I live across the road from, and everyone always laughs at me at this, a netball centre, Colin Maiden Park's a rugby and cricket ground and tennis courts are, are around the road. And I know how packed they are all every weekend. And, and I think there'll be a desperation for a lot of people to get out and do that. I hope there is and, and to support. And, and the backbone of it is still volunteers. Um, and, you know, so maybe there needs to be a big rallying cry through sport and it, and it might need to take the famous names to say we need the volunteers, we need everybody to help. But that's maybe just me trying to find a little, bit, a little bit of hope and some gloom. Yeah, well, I mean, absence makes the heart grow fonder, yeah. right? So I think maybe we've just all taken sport for granted. And the fact in New Zealand we're so we're really just so lucky that we have all these facilities and most of us, we just walk past them and don't even give them a second thought. But 
um, yeah, we've taken community sport for granted for so long, and it's just hard for me to even imagine like the ASB netball, uh, the ASB sports centre in Wellington every thing, every Saturday over winter, absolutely packed from 9am to 5 with people from all levels playing netball. And it's just, um, yeah, it's hard to imagine that that's completely empty right now. But with this absence, um, yeah, maybe people will appreciate what we've got on offer here. Um, so I, I coach kids cricket and rugby, and I'm in the process of um, resuscitating the local cricket club, which has been in recess for seven years, and I'm doing that under the banner of the local rugby club. And in the meantime, I've been organising twilight games for old geezers. And there's a real... Um, People want to be involved. People want to know their neighbours. They want to play stuff. They want to be involved in their community. They just don't really know how. They don't know anyone who can encourage them. And I'm not a super gregarious guy, but if you don't have a go, if you don't put yourself mm. forward, if you don't create opportunities for people, then there aren't any. And so I've decided in my little neck of the woods that I would do that. And I think, as I've mentioned before, in terms of um, professional sport, um, we're going to go hyper-local partly because the borders are going to be closed, partly because of economics. But I just think part of hyper-local means that your rugby club, your tennis club, your cricket club, whatever, are going to become a, a real community focus. And there are going to be, there's going to be an emphasis on the community game, the provincial game, and then the professional game. It's all going to be a bit more, um, it'll coalesce better than it did before where we had professional high-performance sport and then nothing. I think, as I say, we're, we're going to be embracing communities. We're going to be embracing the people that, we know and, and care about, we will all be wanting to get together and clubs are going to be a hub or a focus for that. And I think that it's another of the real positives that, that, that could come out of this, this crisis. I think that we'll, we'll get together more and we'll, we'll put things into our community because that's where we live and, and that's, we want to have happier lives. And, and this is a chance to sort of embrace things like that. So we are running out of time, guys, but just finally, in terms of sport and how it fits into the New Zealand psyche, has this pandemic, this crisis, made you perhaps rethink where sport fits into New Zealand society? Is it less relevant or does sport still matter as much to you given what's going on now? Um, for me, I think it, it's just the same really. Obviously, when you're going through something like this, obviously sport's not life and death and it, it, I've never felt that way about it, but it's something that we enjoy and um, just like we're all missing the, the ability to go to a cafe and order a latte or the ability to just go to a restaurant. We, we're missing, a lot of, lots of us are missing the ability to go play sport or watch it. So I think sport will come out of this where it went into it basically. Um, but yeah, I do think that uh, once we get through um, lockdown and the restrictions, that sport could play um, a really good role in um, lifting the spirits again and, um, yeah, just the community side of it and socialising. I mean, it's just reminded me that my, half of my social life has been around sport. So, yeah, it's still important to me. Yeah, look, sport is a great shared experience and that's what we're missing at the moment is shared experience, like Bridget said, about going to a cafe and doing all of those things. But the other thing it is, it's also a very big business and we're seeing how many people it employs, whether that's, you know, someone who works a security shift at a stadium or somebody who runs the the, the canteen at the, the Auckland Netball Centre on Saturdays. Um, it's a, it is a business and, and people are suffering because of that across the board. So I think um, it, it, it is no less relevant than 
than it was. Um, and it's a great chance in the future to, to start and, and reimagine what it can be and, and what is good about it and, and start with a clean slate. Where can we go at the top level? Um, it can be a great leveller. Um, we can start again without gender boundaries, without, you know, we need to embrace new New Zealanders into sport and, and bringing them into our clubs. So I think there'll be an opportunity in the, opportunity in the end for, for good things to come out of it. But, um, you know, at the moment, it, it might not feel like the most relevant thing, but I'd urge people to think about across the board how big of an impact it can have on people that you may know. Well, I miss professional sport in the least, but um, I'd love a, a walk or a run or a bike ride or a game of golf. And I think like to do it with other people and I think there's a real um, feeling of that across the board I think people um, are missing each other I think that the, the, the one of the things we've learned is that we love activity, we like to play stuff and um, we want to do that very much so once um, the restrictions are lifted And that's it for this week's edition of Extra Time but thanks to Hamish, Bridget and Ricky for virtually joining me and thanks to you out there for listening We hope you're all safe and healthy and managing okay through these unprecedented times Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.